Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we're going through all four divisional round matchups. Everybody, I hope you all enjoyed the wild card round. Had a lot of super wild card matchups going on, some surprises, some underdogs winning, and also some same old stuff going on. Unfortunately, your, your Ohio State Buckeyes lost in the national championship on Monday. Me and the entire city of Columbus are incredibly uh, distressed still, but we move forward. We keep going on with the day job, and that is getting you as informed as possible about these four divisional round matchups. So have an old friend of the podcast here to help me do so. You've heard him every other week all season long, Mr. Andrew Erickson. Andrew, happy divisional round, my friend. Dude, I am ready to get divisional, breaking all these games down. We got some great matchups, and hopefully that, hopefully this weekend can match our super wildcard weekend. I mean, yes. it was super, so they have a lot to live up to. We are recording this at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, so obviously plenty of injury news will be coming in later in the week. Also have time to change our opinions, but again, want to go through all four of these matchups. Andrew and I have prepared about 28 questions uh, worth of stuff, hoping to get you in and out in about 60 minutes, and we will see how much of that results in some goodness. So without further ado, let's get after it. First matchup, we got the Los Angeles Rams at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay opening up as seven-point favorites, down to six and a half now. Game total sinking from 47 to 45 and a half, so Andrew, I think the first question with this game is about can Jared Goff really, you know, do more than he did last week? Because, hey, he didn't get the start, but he deserves credit for coming in off the bench and getting the win. But come on now, we've seen this throughout the whole season. There's a very good and there's a very bad version of Jared Goff. Which version do you think we get this week? I think we're going to get the bad version of Jared Goff. I don't, I don't want to beat around the bush here, but look. I'm not even sure Sean McVay wanted to play Jared Goff at all. And if John Wolford hadn't gotten hurt in that game, we wouldn't have seen Jared Goff. If John Wolford is healthy in, you know, for this game, we don't even know if he could potentially start. So I just think that McVay is at a point where he doesn't really want to have Goff at, as a quarterback. And you look at the numbers, you know, since week 12, Jared Goff, PFF passing grade, 59.0, which is the worst among remaining quarterbacks in the postseason. He's completed two passes over 20 yards since week 12 and compiled four touchdowns and three interceptions from a clean pocket. So it's not like, oh, he's getting a lot of pressure. His receivers are dropping the ball. It's He's just not playing really well. And look, this Green Bay defense has been a lot better. They're a lot better in the secondary. They have PFF's second highest graded coverage unit, 80.4, only behind the Los Angeles Rams. And honestly, just looking at this game as a whole, I just don't see a lot of offensive points being scored in general. And the, our friends over in the desert agree this has the lowest predicted total on the year. So... I don't like it. You know, the Packers have given up one 300-yard performance this season against Deshaun Watson. And, yeah, I'm really out on golf. And, honestly, I would rather have – I think the Rams honestly have a better shot of winning if John Walford starts because if you look at the line last week, we didn't know who the quarterback was going to be, and it didn't move at all. <laughs> so and when, even when we found out Walford was going to start, it didn't move. So just gives you, goes to show you how much value golf really has right now for this team. Yeah, Walford and his ability to move certainly does give that offense a different dimension. You know, Goff, he is someone that plays so bad at times. I think he almost gets a worse <laughs> reputation than he should have. But you know what? When you look at how this guy does do under pressure, it is kind of warranted. This year, 45.9 QB rating with a 4-7 to seven touchdown to INT ratio under pressure, just 4.3 yards per attempt. But when he's kept clean, it's been fine. 105.6 QB rating, 16 touchdowns, 6 picks, 8.2 yards per attempt. That difference, though, only Drew Locke had a higher difference in terms of his yards 
per attempt, one kept clean versus under pressure. Now, the Packers are only 27th in pressure, right? This has kind of been the main difference between the 2019 and 2020 units. We haven't seen Zadarius Smith and these guys truly take over games the same way they did last year. But keep that in mind because if Jared Goff is out there and they can hold off that pass rush, okay, then maybe he has a chance to have some success against Jair Alexander and company. If not, though, again, that's when we see Jared Goff sinking so low that we're talking about a $100 million man competing with John Wolford for the spot. So I, I think they should go with Goff. They have all the money devoted to him. And I think, again, if they can't keep him steady in the pocket, things will be okay. But it really is wild that this is a realistic conversation that, you know, we can actually put some reasoning behind Walford arguably getting the job. But Andrew, either way, no matter who's going to be under center, a lot of this offense is going to be feeding the ball to Cam Akers. He's been the focal point of the Rams offense all throughout the recent weeks. And I want to take a step back from this game for a second and just look at these rookie running backs in the 2021 landscape. I've asked this question a few times throughout the years. and We've kind of evolved uh, throughout along the way. But as it stands right now, we got Cam Akers, you know, James Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson. Out of all these stud rookie running backs we've seen this year, who do you think rises to the top and should have the highest ADP entering 2021? So for me, I think it should be Jonathan Taylor. I think that he has the most upside. We've seen him, you know, his college profile was great coming in and he finally started to hit. You know, he had got some favorable matchups. The team started to feed him. He is in a good system. There's no reason to think that the Colts are going to bring in a different running back. It's going to probably be behind and, and Jonathan Taylor again. Marlon Max, a free agent. This is all kind of what we expected to happen, and that's exactly what happened. You know, he broke out as a rookie, and he's going to be the main guy in his second year. So I think Jonathan Taylor is the clear number one guy. But then for me, I have Acres at two because look, I get that there's this thing going on in the Twitter sphere about Cam Akers versus Daryl Henderson, and I'm not really sure where it came out of. I get like, look, if you look at the numbers, like they're they're pretty similar, like Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. Yeah, like if you just look at you know points for carry basis, PFF rushing grade. You know, all these metrics, you know, explosive runs. Yeah, they're all the same. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Daryl Henderson is good as Cam Akers because the team clearly thinks Cam Akers is the best running back. So that's where we're going to lean to the guy that's actually going to get the touches. And if anything, if you like Daryl Henderson, then this is a good opportunity to buy him in a dynasty league. Oh, he's the backup. Okay, well, running backs get hurt. You know, Cam Akers got hurt this year. So you can at least know that, hey, if anything does happen to Akers, you can go get Daryl Henderson and you can rely on him as a potential fill-in running back that who, who can deliver when given opportunities. So for me, I think it's Jonathan Taylor and then Akers as the one-two. Um, and then maybe there's a little of a, a gap for me probably when I get to the, some of the other running backs. I think the only other guy we could maybe put up in that category is Antonio Gibson. Maybe James Robinson, if nothing changes, just because we're legit talking about one of the most fed running backs in the league, regardless of, you know, how many years of experience he has. So I think those are kind of your big four, James Robinson, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson. And, you know, I think you bring up a lot of good points. And this really is finally the role that we wanted Akers to have and honestly thought he'd have before now in this year. I mean, going into 2020, Sean McVay had coached 52 games with the Rams and his RB1 played at least... 60% of their snaps in 48 of those 52 games. So the kind of the three-back committee we saw for portions of this year, that was rare. It was what McVay told us he was going to do in the offseason, but as we know with coach speak, it kind of comes and goes. So Akers, Jonathan Taylor, and again, James Robinson, Antonio Gibson, all these guys have featured roles, but Akers and James Robinson, if nothing changes, are looking like the two that legit might never lead, leave the field because of how much their offense has been trusting them. So expect to continue to see Akers, you know, just getting fed at least throughout this playoff run with Henderson 
Anderson, you know, continuing the battle with that ankle injury. And he's just earned the job, I think, just out of his own uh, performance so far. So once again, price way too cheap on DraftKings. Anyone, you know, in your heads to heads out there, just buy all that volume you're getting from him at a very affordable price right now. Any thoughts on that, Andrew? I agree with Cam Akers. I think that he's the probably lock button play in the early afternoon. And look, I think there's an advantage to playing him early on because you can figure out what to do with your lineups later on. So if something happens to Akers, he gets hurt or whatever, or he puts up a goose egg because we saw a lot of goose eggs uh, last week. <laughs> Ronald Jones scenario happens and he gets hurt during warmups and nobody tells us, then you can have some time to try to catch up to the field. And one more thing as well, I think looking forward, Joe Henderson, you know, potentially he could be the film as in the Malcolm Brown, the Malcolm Brown role. If he could be that change of pace, explosive running back using the passing game instead of Malcolm Brown, who's really more of a, a plotting running back at this point, you know, that would be a really nice one-two punch um, for the Rams running backs. 100%, 100%. Now, sticking on the DFS side of things here, again, we mentioned Cam Akers, 5,700. He's facing one of the leagues, you know, just worst run defenses really over the past two years, uh, if not more, and, and the Packers. So we know we're going with Cam Akers. Cooper Cup's going to be trying to play through the pain with his knee injury. Does Cup playing through the pain make you want to get on Robert Woods or even like Josh Reynolds or Van Jefferson anymore? Or are you pretty much content only looking at Cam Akers uh, as, as, as far as the DFS side of things go? Personally, you know, I know Woods, we're getting those rush attempts and everything is so close to the line of scrimmage. I mean, nobody had more targets behind the line of scrimmage than Robert Woods this year. So Jair Alexander hasn't shot since week seven. I'm not worried about that matchup, even if he does because of the nature of Woods' targets. But I don't know, man, because everything we just said about Jared Goff, I think maybe we should just be focusing on Cam Akers and nobody else. What do you think? I agree. There are so many other receiver options in that 5K range. You know, just looking at, you know, there's Buccaneers receivers. So you could pay get Chris Godwin instead of Robert Woods, or you could play Antonio Brown instead of Cooper Cup. And Something that kind of just blew my mind when I was looking at the end zone targets for the Rams. So the Rams have thrown the ball into the end zone the second fewest amount of times this season. We're only only worse than the New England Patriots. <laughs> so that kind of tells you the status of the upside of this passing attack. And Robert Woods and Cooper Cup each have five end zone targets this season. That's tied for the most on their team. Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin have five end zone targets in the last four weeks. So... That just kind of tells you what kind of upside you're paying for with these particular receivers. And for me, I, I guess I would still probably just lean towards Cooper Cup. Again, we see the ownership on players coming back from injuries super low. Played in a contest last week. Mike Evans, I think, was at like 2%. And it makes sense. Look, people are afraid to click the button on a guy that, that's coming in hurt. I didn't play Mike Evans because, and I was wrong because yeah. I was afraid to play him because he was coming in hurt. But clearly, it seems like if these players are playing in these playoff games, they're going to be full go. They're going to play through the pain, and that's going to get people off Cooper Cup. And look, I know you mentioned the matchup with Jair Alexander again. They move Woods around so much that it doesn't necessarily matter. But if you are, you know, kind of splitting hairs, you know, Cup is going to probably see less coverage from Alexander when it's all said and done in terms of just overall snaps. So when I look at, when I'm kind of looking, comparing the two receivers, I guess I'd still lean towards Cooper Cup just because of. I think he gives me more leverage as a lower owned play. And realistically, their ceilings are probably pretty similar. 
Yeah, and we know both these guys. They do have the chance for, you know, those 12 to 15 targets, but we also just know Cam Akers could be eaten in this one on the ground. So I think generally, uh, to your first point, yeah, much better higher ceiling options in that 5K range than messing around with uh, Woods in particular. Uh, all right, so moving on to the other side of the ball. Now we got a good offense to talk about because Aaron Rodgers, we've only really seen him look human a few moments this year, but hey, now we got his toughest test yet in the league, single best defense in the Los Angeles Rams. Andrew, great offense or great defense wins out in this matchup? Which one you got? Man, if this was the NFC Championship game, it'd be easy because it'd be just like defense wins championships. That's that's what there you gotta go. do. That, that's there what you go. gotta play here. But it is the divisional round. So again, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to put up a, a dud like he did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in week six. But there are some, you know, carryover things that are from that game that could potentially pose problems for Rodgers in this matchup. So in that game, you know, he was pressured on forty four percent of his dropbacks, finished with obviously really poor performance, five point eight fantasy points. And that pressure could really be another problem here in this matchup. Look, the Rams entering this game lead the league in pressure rate 51% since week 14. Aaron Donald's banged up. Don't care. The guy is going to cause pressure and he's going to cause havoc up the middle for Aaron Rodgers and company. And look, let's not forget, David Bakhtiari is out. So they had Billy Turner come in and start in his place in week 17. And he allowed three pressures and earned a PFF pass blocking grade of 43.4. For the folks at home keeping track, it's not good. You don't want anything below 65, really, and he's at 43. Not a good uh, PFF grade. And the team also just recently signed Jared Valdir off the Colts practice squad. So they are scrambling a little bit to try to find a tackle replacement for David Bakhtiari. I think that could pose some threats for Aaron Rodgers because of the pass rush. And, And that's what we've seen. You know, that he can crumble sometimes like most quarterbacks under pressure. And to be honest, he's been running extremely hot, extremely pure under pressure this season. He's the only quarterback this season with at least 135 dropbacks under pressure to not throw multiple interceptions. So he's got eight touchdowns and one pick. And look, when he's played the Bears, who have one of the better defenses, they've had a lot of dropped interceptions. So maybe this is a spot where Aaron Rodgers doesn't get so lucky against some a, a really talented Rams defense, especially against, you know, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, like guys that can actually make plays as opposed to some of the easier matchups he's faced over the season. I just think that on this slate, you know, speaking in DFS terms, there are other quarterbacks that I think offer a little bit more upside, just a better game environment overall. And look, I mean, this game is clearly the, you know, the ugly duckling of the, of the four game slate where it's a 45 and a half, you know, projected total where every other game is over 50. So to me, it doesn't really make sense to attack this game when it's hard enough to try to figure out all the great plays from the other three games that should be just higher scoring environments. Yeah, I mean, look, we've only seen two quarterbacks throw for at least 250 yards and multiple scores against this Rams D all season. Josh Allen in week three, Jimmy Garoppolo in week six in the game that was just filled with, you know, one pop pass after another uh, to Debo Samuel. So giving Kyle Shanahan a little more credit than Jimmy G in that one. But look, you know, when this whole playoff uh, started, I went through every single team. I want to try to figure out who's the most complete, just looking at, you know, different weaknesses and strengths for, you know, specific parts of teams. And the only somewhat negative I could find for the Rams is that they're 24th in yards after the catch allowed per reception. Now, I think part of this is because they are, they've faced the league's second lowest average target depth. I mean, teams don't have much time. The Rams do a great job of not loading the box, keeping bodies back. So it kind of makes sense that underneath area is the only kind of spot to really pick up bunches of yards against this defense. We do see the Packers popping as the number three offense in yards after the catch per completion. So that's kind of been the difference this year. It's not just Rodgers having to do playground ball with Devontae Adams, LaFleur, all their play action game. They've done a great job of setting up some easy 
deep passes, and they're going to need all those they can get against this Rams defense. Because again, they are, you know, the epitome of just kind of, I don't want to say bend, not break, because they don't bend much as it is, but like that is their style. They do not want to give up big plays and they don't, they won't sell out against the run to try to do that. If you just look at this year, in the terms of defense percentage of runs faced with eight plus defenders in the box. At the top, we got the Seahawks, you know, loading the box on 59% of their opponent's runs, the Jaguars, 56%. All the way down at the bottom is the Rams at only 21%. The Broncos were number two at 29%. So one of the you know most revolutionary things from this great Rams defense has been their commitment to stopping the pass, not the run, not getting that you know old school football guy mentality in there. They've done a great job focusing on the pass first and foremost. So, hey, man, we'll see because I think in today's NFL, we've all kind of thought that, yes, great offense will beat great defense. You know, we have two juggernauts facing each other. But, you know, Packers, I'm not saying they won't meet their match on offense this year and that Tampa Bay game is kind of the only time we saw that you know if it is going to be another defense I certainly could see it being the Rams Uh, moving on from Aaron Rodgers here looking at this running game now Again, the Rams, they are not a team that are going to load the box to actively stop the run. So it would make sense if one of these Packers running backs could actually be a vital part to this game. We like to say running backs don't matter, but anyone getting 15 plus touches in the game matters for the purposes of this conversation. So Andrew, we got Aaron Jones, who's been the lead guy. It seemed like maybe A.J. Dillon was going to, I don't know, get a couple touches. He sure played well in week 16. No, he played five total snaps last week. Jamal Williams is back. Do you, do you see Aaron Jones being the feature guy in the spot? Or are we still going to see some sort of annoying committee? It should be all Aaron Jones in this matchup. I looked at what they did in the postseason last year just to get an idea of, did they lean on Aaron Jones a little bit more? Did they use Jamal Williams more in a 50-50-50 committee or a 60-40 kind of split where that's what we've seen. That's kind of the norm with Aaron Jones. You know, he usually doesn't top 18 touches, but in the first playoff game they played last year, he had 22 touches and played 84% snap share, which would be one of the higher rates and touches in terms of volume that he would have seen this season. And since he came back from the injury, he's been averaging north of 17 touches per game. So again, I think that we're going to see him at least in that 18 to 20 range. And he's going to get the chance to catch balls out of the backfield. Like you mentioned, yards after the catch. I have to imagine that a lot of that has to go to the running back position as well. And I know that I'm pretty sure Debo Samuel wants to have like 100 yards after the catch in some of his matchups against the Rams because basically he was catching everything behind the line of scrimmage. So I think that some of those numbers come from the matchups against uh, Debo Samuel. But again... Because they're so good at covering that, you know, they're letting uh, receivers catch the ball and then they have to make the tackle. So I think Aaron Jones has the upside as a pass catcher. I, I'm interested to, to know about the ownership on Aaron Jones, how he will, how heavily will be owned in DFS. You're looking at the matchup again, you mentioned, you know, that's really important to note because if they're not trying to stop the run, then Aaron Jones should at least be able to accumulate yardage. And if he can find a touchdown, look, this running back, landscape isn't you know amazing for this slate you know we have a couple low value guys that could totally dud out and do nothing and then we have you know Camaro who's the most expensive running back so you have Aaron Jones here but we know that Aaron Jones probably has a type of ceiling that can match an Alvin Kamara if he finds that you know scores a couple touchdowns here and there and last week we did see Chris Carson he was decent 16 rushes for 77 yards he didn't score so that's ultimately what didn't what didn't you know he didn't deliver really for fantasy in that reason but you know, Jones has much more upside in the passing game, especially against, you know, if this Rams defensive backs, if they are really as good as everyone thinks they are and as good as they've been all year, then Aaron Rodgers is going to have to throw the ball to someone and, you know, they're going to have to score at some point. 
Yeah, speaking of those Rams defensive backs, I mean, matchup really of the entire slate here is going to be Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams. The question is, can we really expect him to take him away? Because we've seen Ramsey shadow four times this year, DK Metcalf three times, Mike Evans once, fewer 50 yards allowed in every single time and just one touchdown. That's specifically in his coverage, though. As you know, Andrew, a lot of times he shadow matchups. Yes, you know, the guy's traveling with them all over the field, but usually that ends up resulting, you know, 50 to 70% of the snaps, not exactly 100%. How worried are you about this matchup for Ramsey? And is it enough to do the unthinkable and fade Devontae Adams and DFS? So there's a lot of ways you can look at this. And, you know, something that kind of popped in my head was, and this was actually listening back to the Devontae Adams podcast when he came on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. He was talking to Richard Sherman, and it was a particular matchup with Sherman. I think was still on the Seahawks, and Aaron Rodgers just didn't throw to Richard Sherman's side. He just totally ignored him. He just, you know, Richard Sherman was doing doing the yawning thing, and, I can't say that Aaron Rodgers would do that to a guy like Devontae Adams, where he would just, you know, whatever, I'm just going to attack every other player. I'm not going to look at Jalen Ramsey's side. I, I don't imagine him doing that just because of the connection that they've had all year. But, it, again, it's, it's in the range of outcomes. And, look, you know, Devontae Adams has had a couple down games here and there. So I think that there's some merit to not necessarily jamming him in to every DFS lineup you play. He's the most expensive wide receiver on the slate. And, look, it'd be different if there were no other options that you could pay out for. But we have a Tyreek Hill that you can pay out for. We have a Travis Kelsey you could pay out for at tight end and put, you know, use in the flex position. So I don't think that, you know, you're not, you know, a fish. If you decide not to play Devontae Adams, like no one's going to come at you because, you know, you tried to avoid Devontae Adams. Look, it's not just Jalen Ramsey. That's good in this secondary. Their whole defense is really good. There's a reason why they have the best defense in the league because they're good against all receivers, not just number ones. And it's not just because of Jalen Ramsey. You know, Troy Hill's been really good. Darius Williams on the other side has been really good. And it's not to say that Adams can't beat those guys. Yeah, he can. But, you know, from an overall standpoint, is he going to score three touchdowns and 150 yards? That's probably not in his range of outcomes. It's more like, okay, you can maybe get two touchdowns and 100 yards. Maybe that's more or less his ceiling in this particular spot. And something I want to mention as well, you know, the Rams, you know, all the talk about Ramsey and this and that, you know, they, they play a lot of zone coverage. <laughs> like, it's not like they're just like bump and run, like mano y mano. And it's funny because I think that on our shadow cornerback matrix that we have at pff.com, we actually like, it actually labeled Jalen Ramsey giving up the touchdown to DK Metcalf because he had lined up ahead of him on the snap. But if you watch that play, you know, Ramsey's not really the one in coverage. It was really more of a bloke, a broken play. So if people are pointing and point chasing DK Metcalf's stat line, be like, oh, well, you know, Metcalf went off against these, the, the Rams last week. So I got to play Devontae Adams. I don't, I don't think that's a really a, a smart justification to, to play Devontae Adams in that particular case. Again, the zone coverage, I think is important to note because Adams' target share versus zone and man is a lot different. You know, during against man coverage is 36%, against zone coverage is 27%. Ten of his touchdowns have been against man coverage, only four against zone. And his PFF receiving grade is actually a lot worse against zone coverage, 79.2 versus 95.0. So, again, I don't think that you have to play Devontae Adams. And if you fade him, you can adjust after those games lock because you can figure out, okay, I got Barry. I need Tyreek Hill to do X, Y, and Z for me to catch up. And I think something that's actually really interesting is MVS has actually scored more touchdowns this season than Adams has against zone coverage. So again, <laughs> playing MVS is a just, look, you, you can't, you can't stomach it. You just got to click the button if you're going to take the risk. But We've seen weirder things in these small slates, and we know MVS, dude, he's going to get at least one deep target. It's just a matter of, will he catch it?
MV Sheesh, as we like to call him, uh, industry. It's always an emotional roller coaster trying to roster that dude. But no, I, I think uh, what you said about just not having to force Devontae into this week holds true because just looking at the DraftKings pricing in particular, Devontae's at 8,600, Tyreek's at 8K, Stefan Diggs at 7,300, even Michael Thomas is down there at 67, Mike Evans 64. Like, there's just not that big of a difference between these guys' projected point totals relative to that price disparity we're seeing. So, you know, tournaments and all that, if you want to go Rod. Adams, Tunyon, I get it, but no, certainly not someone we need to necessarily build our entire lineup around this week because yes, I do think there's enough guys underneath them, but yeah, it's zone coverage and it's also just the reality that Ramsey, look, some weeks he plays like strictly in the slot. They want him around line of scrimmage to make plays. The guy's physical is all hell. Intriguingly, though, he hasn't really done it when he's shadowed this year. Again, he's only shadowed in four matchups. In those games, in the slot, he's only spent three snaps, six, one, and zero. I mean, that's, you know, that's significant. Mike Evans played 24 snaps inside when they met, and Ramsey was shattering him on fewer than a quarter of those. So Adams has lined up in the slot in 26% of his snaps this year. We've seen only two wide receivers clear 100 yards against this defense. Debo Samuel, 133 yards, and Cole Beasley getting 100. Watch Devontae Adams, because if we see the Packers really, really want to get him free, I think it's going to be from the friendly confines of the slot, and I think that is where he can have the most success against this defense, if anywhere. Now, last point I want we want to talk about on the Packers here. Robert Tunyon just put together a bonkers season. And Andrew, I know this guy came out of nowhere. I know we don't have a long history of the Packers having these great tight ends, but I mean, just based on what we saw in 2020, Robert Tunyon, he needs to be in top 10 tight end lists. And dare I say top five, probably not top five, but man, this has been wild this year. He's been having such a great year. Yeah, man. When you catch a lot of touchdowns, you put up fantasy points at the tight end position. Look, the thing with Robert Tunyon is, yeah, is he going to be top 10 for sure. You can't, you know, anyone attached to a player like Aaron Rodgers is going to be, you know, drafted in high regard. But the thing with me is, especially with the tight end position and how volatile it is and how touchdowns are volatile every single year. Look, Aaron Rodgers had a career high in the regular season, 9.1% touchdown rate. His career average is 6.3%. Look, the, the regression is going to come. It came for Aaron, Jaron Jones. It comes for almost every single player. And Robert Tanyan just seems like the the victim of circumstance in this situation. You know, in terms of expected fantasy points, no no tight end scored more over expectation than Robert Tanyan did. And I just have to imagine, I mean, we thought that the Green Bay Packers would draft a receiver last year or bring in some receiver. But, I mean, hey, you know, Al Robinson could be a free agent if he lands in Green Bay. See you later, Robert Tanya. <laughs> like, that's, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, even but even if he scores, you know, five touchdowns next year, Maybe he'd be a, a decent tight end one, but I just, I think that you're rather off, you know, going later, you know, I'd rather take a guy later in like a Noah Fant who I think actually has a, you know, full complete skill set as opposed to a guy that's just super reliant on touchdowns. No, that's fair. Noah Fant is a screaming third year by. I got you there, but just guys, this season was so <laughs> insane. He caught 52 of 59 targets. So that's seven incompletions and he had 11 touchdowns 11 touchdowns seven incompletions so targets began being tracked in 1992 i went back found every single player i had at least 50 targets in a season that's 3639 players robert tunyon is the first one out of that group to have more touchdowns than incompletions nobody else has had a ratio above zero robert tunyon at plus four is absolutely shattering record books truly just amazing and a one-of-a-kind season if there ever has been one for robert tunyon in 2020 all right We've broken down this game pretty much every angle I could think of. Andrew, what is your pick from the spread or game total? I'm going with the under. 
here because I just think that matchups against the Rams are just turning into absolute just like slogs. Just there's not a lot of offense. You know, the Rams offense I don't like. The Rams defense is good. The Packers defense is playing better. So I don't think that the Packers necessarily are going to need to push the envelope to come away with a win. I'm going to take the Packers six and a half. I don't trust the Rams ability to keep up. I'm a little concerned with how diverse this run game can be. If you know, they can do pretty much what the 49ers did to this defense last year and, you know, hopefully get a bad game out of Rogers, but you know what? It's been a special pissed off FU season from Aaron Rodgers that I did not see coming to start, but we've now gotten 17 weeks of evidence that he is playing the best ball of his career. I expect that to keep up at home and yes. So go Packers six and a half and two Andrews point, definitely betting the under instead of the over in this one if it comes to that next matchup we got the ravens at the buffalo bills bills mafia open as three point favorites as down to two and a half game total up from 49 to 50 so last week ravens you know got the wild card win over the titans lamar you know had that interception that looked like straight out of duck hunter i mean that was brutal but you know what he reminded everyone just how electric he can be as a rusher andrew is lamar already the best rushing qb that football has ever seen i mean yeah, I don't, I don't see how you go anywhere else here. Dude, that run was absolutely insane. It looked like he was going to get sacked. And it's like, oh, no, like, here we go again. Lamar can't win a playoff game. He just did that ugly interception, which, man, that interception, dude, that was – when he <laughs> threw that, you know, I was, like, looking at all my DFS lineups, and I'm just like, have I just made a grave mistake? What was I thinking? Obviously, he, he, he delivered with his legs. But, yeah, his dual threat ability is, is really like nothing we've ever seen. You know, he step – he makes teams – have to completely change their identity on defense. If he's playing a team that plays man coverage, they can't play man coverage against him because of the fact that he can just absolutely destroy you with his legs. And when you have to play zone against him, that's when he's been better as a passer. You know, I looked at these man zone splits, especially with the Titans last week, and the Titans were a team that liked to run a lot of man coverage, you know, similar to, you know, Mike Vrabel with the Patriots. They run a lot of man coverage with some of their corners, but they couldn't do that in this matchup because they're like, well, if we run man coverage, then Lamar Jackson is going to rush for like a thousand yards against us. So we can't do that. Yeah. I mean, Lamar Jackson is definitely nothing like we've ever seen before. Back to back thousand yard rushing seasons. And look, give him, I still think that he can improve as a passer. I, I don't think that the, the book is necessarily out on him as a passer. Look, he can still, but I think that's important that he's still an effective quarterback as a rusher and can still be efficient as a rusher. And he can, become a better quarterback in the pocket as a passer. You know, we've seen guys develop over time. Obviously, you know, Josh Allen, perfect example. So much developed a little bit over time. And I think something that's actually interesting about Lamar Jackson in terms of his um, EPA per play. Um, so he's at, his EPA per play is actually higher as him rushing than it is passing this year. So, I mean, that just kind of shows you how effective he is as a rusher and, and how, again, not that he's the worst passer in the league, but the fact that he does have some room to improve as a thrower. Well, it's just frustrating with a lot of these conversations among all quarterbacks, not just Lamar Jackson, but we just kind of ignore their rushing upside a lot of times. You see in any broadcast, you know, they compare two quarterbacks. It's their touchdown-interception ratio, their yards per game, and there's never any inclusion of rushing. And, you know, people mocked Cam Newton's passing touchdown-interceptions all season long. And, yeah, I, I'm not sitting here trying to defend Cam as a passer, but, like, we can't just ignore the freaking double-digit times some of these guys have scored touchdowns. Same thing with Kyler Murray. Same thing uh, even with Josh Allen during the 
first two years of his career. So I think the short answer to this question of Lamar already being the best rushing QB football has seen, somehow, yes. And I say this with all due respect to Mike Vick and some of the trailblazers, the fact that they had to get most of this done just on scrambles, not, you know, it's kind of some of the more design runs that have infiltrated the league in recent years. I mean, they deserve more credit for that, but these numbers are just incomprehensible almost, man. Lamar took over in week 11, 2018. He is fifth in total rushing yards, not among quarterbacks in the league since taking over behind only Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, and Ezekiel Elliott. Only two quarterbacks in NFL history have more rushing games, have more games with at least 100 rushing yards, uh, more than five of those games. That's Lamar Jackson at 10, Mike Vick at 11. So literally give Lamar a couple more games and he's going to already own this the all-time record for most 100-yard rushing performances by a QB absolute madness. And Andrew, this leads us into our next topic. You wrote an article last week on the impact that a rushing QB can have on an offense's RB in fantasy. We've talked about this throughout the year with Kyler Murray when he was dinged up and Kenyon Drake getting more goal line attempts, targets and change. Talk to me about the key takeaways from this article and how it specifically relates to Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. Basically, the way you want to look at things is with the mobile quarterback, a lot of people look at it as, okay, you know, yards per attempt is going to go up. The running back efficiency is going to go up. And that's true. You know, on the ground, you see super hyper-efficient running back play. J.K. Dobbins, you know, led the NFL in yards per carry, six yards. Sony Michelle, out of nowhere, 5.7 yards per attempt. He was tied to, to Cam Newton. It, there's no coincidence that Michelle's yards per attempt skyrocketed without Tom Brady back there. Like, it's not a coincidence. It, it really has to do with a mobile quarterback being there because we've seen, you know, looking at EPA, EPA per play went up. You know, yards per attempt went up. All of those things increase for a running back on the ground, but... In reality, the overall output of a running back's yardage doesn't actually increase. So yes, the efficiency is going up. That's awesome. But it's not necessarily making up for the lack of volume that the player is receiving. So in the case of J.K. Dobbins, okay, oh, he's averaging six yards a carry. Oh, this is great. But he only had 11 carries. So, okay, you take a guy who gets 20 carries who's averaging four yards per attempt. Okay, well, that player just gets more yardage overall. So... I know that we always try to look at efficiency and see, okay, well, he can make it up with efficiency. But in the case of at least the last two seasons, we're not seeing that with these running backs attached to their mobile quarterback. So it's to just not kind of fall for the, the trap necessarily of looking at a really sexy yards per attempt or efficiency numbers and then just being like, look, we talk about it all the time with running backs. Volume is king. And when you play with a mobile quarterback, that volume isn't there necessarily on the ground, like we've seen with J.K. Dobbins this year when he's splitting carries with Lamar Jackson and with Gus Edwards, and we're also not seeing it through the air. You know, the targets are always decreasing. There's negative correlation between quarterback rushing attempts, you know, total attempts, whether it's scrambles, whether it's design runs. We're seeing a negative correlation with running back targets. And look, there are plenty of prime examples of it. You know, most clearly and notably is Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara. We saw Kamara's targets absolutely tank. And look, since week... I believe we t 13 since J.K. Dobbins kind of became the actual like quote unquote starter for the Ravens. He has two catches. And look, if you're playing standard leagues, I mean, if, I don't know if Tom Brady and Drew Brees are in your league, but if you're playing in standard leagues still, that doesn't hurt you. But in most leagues that are PPR focused, not having any type of receiving floor is can be so detrimental to your team basically for any running back not named Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry obviously makes up for it because he gets like 30 carries a game. So that's the one way you can overcome a lack of pass catching work in a PPR world. But just looking at the, the top 12 running backs overall this year in terms of PPR scoring, David Montgomery was really the only one that I would that would say that was tied to a mobile quarterback. And that would be just Mitchell Trubisky, who wasn't even his quarterback for the yeah. entire season. So 
it's just something to kind of keep in mind with J.K. Dobbins. I, that's why I have him lower than a lot of the other year two running backs because, yes, I think he can be a super efficient runner, but ultimately I don't know how he's going to be in RB1 unless he sees like a, a Derrick Henry type of workload. Yeah, I mean, extra, you know, 0.3 on the yards per carry is great, but not when it takes away, you know, five rush attempts and pretty much any pass game work. So agree with all those points. And look, I mean, again, volume is king. If we have a running back getting 80, 90% of, you know, their usage on offense, who cares if their quarterback is a rusher or passer? You're probably looking at 20 touches per game anyway. We'll take those anytime we can get them. But in situations like Dobbins, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, I mean, all these running backs that we kind of wait to get the usual snap percentage that we see in other rooms, you might as well bump that up again good 10-15% in that 70-80% range before we can feel too good about any of these guys because truly these run, rushing quarterbacks they get the rush attempts and they just don't throw quite as often to those backs so make sure you check out Andrew's article on pff.com for more information on that staying on this Ravens offense just a little bit longer we got Marquise Brown coming on strong after being left for dead pretty much with that goose egg in week 11 against the Titans you know I've talked a lot in this podcast over the past few weeks about how I wish that you know the Ravens would really give Lamar Jackson the true number one receiver we've seen Josh Allen get Stephon Diggs, Baker got OBJ, Kyler got Hopkins, Lamar's kind of that one quarterback in that age range has been left in the dust in terms of just a true elite number one receiver being added to the Ravens. Andrew, are we looking at his legit number one wide receiver or are you still skeptical of what Marquise Brown can be moving forward? I just don't know if he's an alpha wide receiver. We really haven't seen him be you know the primary target. You know Mark Andrews obviously gets really involved in the passing game and I don't know. We, again, the offense is obviously predicated around the run game and, and maybe they don't really need an alpha wide receiver but I don't know I, I would expect more from Marquise Brown again obviously he's had a great second half surge 16 point fantasy points per game since week 12 he scored or posted at least 98 receiving yards in every single game since then um but I don't know I just I don't see him make, it's a lot of it's like he's wide open on certain plays I don't see him going up and making a lot of great catches he's we don't see him necessarily you know, breaking guys' ankles against really tough defense. I just don't think that he can beat a lot of these tougher defensive backs in tough matchups. Like, if it was Marquise Brown against the Rams, like, are we, does he stand a chance? I, I don't know. And I think that could really present a lot of problems for the Ravens long term. I mean, look, if Allen Robinson, you know, ended up in Baltimore, I think that would be a huge upgrade for their entire offense. Um, but yeah, and, and even in this matchup too, again, you have a tougher cornerback, you know, potentially, you know, matchup against Tredavious White and, and the Bills have, you know, longer cornerbacks. So I think this matchup is actually a lot tougher than kind of initially, you know, looking at it on paper, you know, Bills have allowed the fourth fewest fantasy points to wide receivers and they face by far the lowest rate of deep ball attempts this season. So a lot of deep receivers or, you know, guys that have high A dots have struggled against the Bills this season. So Marquise Brown, I'm not sure I love him in this matchup. Yeah, look, speed kills. Marquise Brown has that. We know he can be a legit field-stretching wide receiver in this league. I, mean, I had an article. It's up on PFF.com. I went through every playoff team's most explosive playmaker. Came up with this new metric called playmaker rate, where I'm pretty much rewarding extra points for big plays, 20-yard receptions, touchdowns, and even forced missed tackles. I mean, Marquise Brown came in at ninth among 153 players with at least 50 touches. The guy can make big plays, and he hasn't gotten a ton of help. I mean, one of just 14 receivers with a catchable deep ball rate under 40% 
40% among 48 qualified players. I would just love to see him be an overqualified wide receiver too. Then, you know, someone stuck trying to be a wide receiver one that might be better off elsewhere. So we've seen Duvernay flash a little bit. Maybe he, I think he can definitely provide more out of the slot than Willie Sneed in terms of explosiveness. You know, Miles Boykin, he's flashed a little bit, but yes, Allen Robinson, let's get him a true wide receiver one. Let Marquise Brown be an overqualified field stretching wide receiver too. I mean, it's, they're different players. He has a long way to go before he's, you know, T.Y. Hilton in that kind of sphere. But it reminds me of that because T.Y. Hilton for all those years with Andrew Luck and the Colts, okay, he's a great wide receiver who's putting up numbers, but like, man, if that guy could be your number two stretching the field and have a legit guy, you know, legit alpha to put in your words, number one wide receiver, I think that makes any offense better and it can even make your other wide receivers better like Marquise Brown if it means he's getting more man coverage, more better singular matchups. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him to win this one, particularly as long as Tredavious White and company have their full attention on him. Now moving over to the other sidelines. So Josh Allen overcame a sneaky tough wildcard matchup with flying colors. We were talking about his issues potentially against that zone heavy defense. Did not make mistakes. Got the job done. Plenty of big plays along the way. Now we get to Ravens secondary though that has really only been torched by Patrick Mahomes over the past two seasons. Andrew, will the Bills offense keep on keeping on? Dude, of course Josh <laughs> Allen is going to get it done. I don't know what else to say. What else can you say about this guy? The fact that he should be in the MVP conversation. And look, if, if it hadn't been for Aaron Rodgers just going out and throwing 48 touchdowns, Josh Allen would have probably had a legitimate shot at, at winning the MVP award. So I think that he'll have a really strong consideration for it next year because now he's in the, you know, in the spotlight. If the Bills come out, you know, guns blazing and can have a really good year in 2021, I think that he's definitely going to be in the conversation for sure, at least to start the year. But look, you, obviously you guys talked about the zone coverage against the Colts last week, and that gave some Josh, Josh Allen some fits last week. But that couldn't be farther from the truth this week because he's playing the Ravens, and they don't run zone coverage at all. They play all uh, man coverage, and that is what Josh Allen has absolutely destroyed all season long. Allen has a PFF passing grade of 89.2, which ranks third. He has 19 passing touchdowns, second. 8.8 yards per attempt third against man coverage this season. And look, you know, over the past, basically since the team came off the bye week, Josh Allen is first in fantasy points per game, second in expected fantasy points per game. So basically he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing, you know, with the rushing, with the passing. I think he's worth every penny at 7.4 K. And I think that he can actually outscore Patrick Mahomes. He can outscore uh, Lamar Jackson. So I, I really like him a lot in this match. I'm not really turned off by, the Baltimore Ravens at all pairing him with Stefan Diggs seems like a no brainer. Again, you know, another guy you can get off of Devontae Adams. You can use Stefan Diggs at 7.3 K against man coverage. D Diggs leads the NFL in targets catches receiving yards. So the connection is going to be firing on all cylinders. His target share is at 36% when facing man coverage. And, and look, the other thing that Baltimore does a, a lot as well is blitzes. So, they blitz more than any other team at 30%. And of course, to no one's surprise, Allen leads the NFL in touchdown passes against the Blitz. <laughs> so I think that this works out just so perfectly for him. You know, these weren't even hard for me to find. You know, I saw that, you know, that the Ravens had were really blitz heavy and they ran a lot of man coverage. And I just knew that this would be kind of like a match made in heaven for uh, a one Mr. Josh Allen. And that's what's so wild, man, because if you just look at the Ravens, like base defense, yards per attempt, even against, you know, guys in the slot, out wide, like it's a top 10 defense almost any way you shake it. But Josh Allen has just been so good in some of these specific areas that it's almost like a worst case scenario matchup for this Ravens defense, which again is tough to say because they've been so good over the past two years. Only Mahomes, he did it twice, and Baker Mayfield have gone for 300 plus multiple scores. I mean, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, we're talking about 
probably the legit number one secondary in the league, just in terms of overall cornerback powers. But yeah, man, I think all that man coverage and you're facing Diggs, Beasley, Smokey Brown, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, weapons all over the place and the Bills are not afraid to use them. Only Kyle Murray had more dropbacks with at least four wide receivers on the field this year. And this could be the one flaw I did find with the Ravens because this year facing four wide receiver sets, they were 21st in yards per attempt, 23rd in explosive pass play rate, 26th in passer rating when the offense has at least four wide receivers out there. So yeah, you play all that man coverage and it might be fine, you know, versus two or three guys out there when you can account for everyone. All of a sudden you put four speedy dudes out there with a the quarterback that knows how to use them. That has caused problems. So keep an eye on with no Zach Moss. Maybe we see more like Isaiah McKenzie than usual, you know, trying to stress the edges of that defense think the Bills might just have what they need to make this a long afternoon for the Ravens defense. Andrew mentioned that there's not going to be any Zach Moss to rest the playoffs. That means Devin Singletary uh, should be the feature back. He is popping in every single DFS model you want to look at, uh, just 4,500 on DraftKings. Andrew, is Devin Singletary a must-own player in DFS due to this development, or are we maybe looking at you know some chalk that we should be trying to get away from? I think that as long as we don't hear, I mean, it, it's complicated because Leonard Fournette would potentially be the other low, you know, low price running back you could turn to, but we don't know the situation with Ronald Jones right now. And we don't know when we'll know the situation with Ronald Jones because that game is the last game being played. So right now, Devin Singletary, yes, I think that he is that salary saver. Look, you take the value at running back. He has been in this spot before already this season during weeks three and four. 80, played 89% of the snaps, total 31 carries, 9 catches, 35 fantasy points, uh, 40 expected fantasy points per game. So, I mean, if I'm telling you a guy, you know, in his range of outcomes pretty easily can, you know, be get 20 fantasy points and he's 4.5K, you're going to play him. And I think that he really, he can be involved in the passing game. Again, Josh Allen doesn't really necessarily throw it to his backs a lot, but Devin Singletary does have nine, you know, he is the one that does catch passes on the occasion that Josh Allen does throw the ball. And if this is a high scoring game, like it should be, Devin Singletary is going to have a chance to potentially score. There's one less mouth to feed, you know, per se in the, you know, at, at the goal line. So whether it's Josh Allen or Devin Singletary, it's, there's no more Zach Moss. So I don't anticipate necessarily being like TJ Yeldon getting involved in, and please for love of me, do not put Devontae Freeman in this game. <laughs> just like guys, please do not let it happen. So I think actually, if you want to just, you know, the safest play would honestly be just to play Devin Singletary and Josh Allen together. That way you can capture all that touchdown upside and whatever Devin Singletary gets you, you know, if Josh Allen ends up scoring all the touchdowns, you know, whatever, you'll just take it. If he gets 10 points, you know, 15 points, that's not going to, it's not going to bury you. Oh my gosh, man. Am I just freaking sadness this morning? I missed the bill sign Devonte Freeman. I was like, what are you talking <laughs> oh, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Andrew? Oh my goodness. What a disaster. Yes. I do think it's going to be a Devin Singletary show, despite Devonte Freeman's corpse making its way <laughs> to Buffalo. We had three games this year with Moss out of the lineup. Singletary played 89, 89, 63% snaps. The last performance was in a 42, 16 loss where we saw Yeldon pretty much dominate fourth quarter usage and mop up time. So yes, I think Singletary will be the guy. And, you know, there was this weird thing coming out of Buffalo all year, like Zach Moss, you know, was, was someone that they should have, like, definitely had to have on the field over Singletary. I'm, Moss might very well be better, but, like, Singletary isn't some scrub. He was actually tied for eighth in missed tackles, forced per rush among all backs for at least 100 carries. Yeah, he's not going to probably truck stick, you know, your linebacker at the goal line, but truly is an elusive guy. He, you know, he's a theoretical three-down back. He can catch the ball. He's not, you know, liability in any one facet of the game. Certainly the type of back that you can see flirting with that true 90% snap rate, which is rare and impossible to find at 4,500. So yeah, you know, 
could see a bust. We know Josh Allen doesn't like to give the ball to his running backs uh, when he can help it. But again, just too much potential usage for such a cheap price. Andrew main event, or, you know, Josh Allen, I guess the main event, the bills, but co-main event, Stefan Diggs. I mean, the dude is just balling, you know, him in 2002, Marvin Harrison, only wide receivers with at least six catches in 15 games, a regular season. He comes out in the wild card round looks just as good as ever. So let's, we know he's top five, but who would you put ahead? If anybody, when ranking just wide receivers who've been the best in week since week one, 2020. So Adams would definitely be number one for me. And the second one, I, I kind of struggle with a little bit. I put Terry kill as my number two guy and I could see it go either way. I could see Diggs at number two as well, but ultimately I just thought about Hill and just the, just the fear that he strikes into opposing defenses and how the guy can literally be doing nothing the entire, I mean, he has kind of that like Randy Moss effect to him where he's on the field and you have to, you know, the team has to spend seemingly like hours and hours and hours game planning around this guy. And then he could just go out and just like totally blow up. And it doesn't even matter what you did all, you know, through practice all, all week. So I guess just Hill for that, you know, game factor, I put him at two, but I think digs at three is appropriate for how well he's played this season. Yeah, I can't even really, I, I 100% agree with you. It's Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill ahead. And look, my big reason is points win football games. And Devontae Adams had 18 touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had 15 just receiving. And look, Stefan Diggs, if we got a nitpick, he only had eight. So very happy that the AP All-Pro first team had these three wide receivers. I think they got it right. You know, special credit to A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Jefferson, some of the other top performers. But yes, Diggs, Adams, Tyreek Hill, top three wide receivers, you know, since week one. And it when we're making these lists, you know, going into 2021, that's where it's going to be real interesting because, you know, Hopkins, uh, Julio, some of these other guys that we're going to have out there, we're going to have an amazing receiver or two outside the top five in 2021. Cannot wait for some of those Twitter arguments where people are just, you know, dumbfounded how you could ever <laughs> leave their guy out. But truly, we are in, you know, a golden age of wide receiver talent. It's been a lot of fun to see, particularly with Diggs and Buffalo. He's obviously not the only guy that has been making plays in this offense, though. Cole Beasley, John Brown, Dawson Knox, Isaiah McKenzie. We've seen a lot of different complimentary guys step up at different points for the Bills offense. Andrew, which under-the-radar Bills skill position player do you think could make a big difference this week? So I think I'm going to go back to John Brown. And I say that because I remember coming on this podcast, I don't remember what week it was, burying Brandon Cooks after he put up a goose egg. And I blew up my face. And ever since that moment, I have you know, stop to think and really look at things a little bit more closely and not just bury a guy because, oh, he put up zero points. He sucks, especially now. Look, he's still super cheap, 4.7K. No one's going to play him because everybody played him last week and he did nothing. So that's classic recency bias. But look, he still ran 40 routes, same as Diggs, and he still saw a lot of high value targets. Again, you know, he was second in terms of fantasy sports scored under expectations. So again, that usually means bounce back. You know, the opportunities were there for him. And look, Josh, him and Josh Allen just weren't on the same page um, in that game. And if I'm going to buy a quarterback, you know, wide receiver connection, you know, getting back on track, it's going to be with Josh Allen. You know, last week, all of his air yards were basically uncatchable. So there really wasn't a lot of quality targets. But again, he was still seeing targets down the field. And prior to the goose egg, he had at least 72 receiving yards in his last three games. And one thing I'll note as well, so about the blitz heaviness of the Baltimore Ravens, John Brown has three touchdowns this season, and they've all come off of blitzes. 
Ooh, good stuff there. I am sticking on the outside right there with you. Looking at Gabriel Davis, even with John Brown back, Davis played 54% snaps last week. And again, without Moss on the field, I could see them going even more four wide receiver heavy than usual. So I mentioned, again, I got this playmaker rate article up on PFF.com. I was using a touch threshold of, threshold excuse me of 50 if you lower that to 25 gabriel <laughs> davis is number two among 243 qualified players not a typo everybody he has 35 catches this year he has seven scores and 10 catches of 20 plus yards and that's with i want to say off the top of my head three nullified touchdowns that could have even boosted him up from number one so gabriel davis when the ball goes to him big plays are usually not far behind angel we've broken down pretty much each and every angle from this one who is your pick and why or give me a game total if you're feeling risky there i'm going to take the bills and, and i know that the ravens are getting a lot of love as under as underdogs and i just think look i'm just gonna lean on the quarterback that's been better all year and it's been josh allen i know lamar jackson has you know, turned it on over the past couple of weeks. But, you know, if I'm going to take one quarterback, if I want one quarterback in this game, it's Josh Allen because of this season. So. Yep, I'm with you. Give me Bills, two and a half. I think, you know, Ravens will keep it tight. Won't make it easy. But again, I just think of all, if you could make the perfect offense to attack what this Ravens defense <laughs> might not do great, it sure seems like it will be the Bills. Well, and it, now seems that, like the, yeah, it seems like the Ravens would have to go into this game and do it completely opposite of what they've done all season. Like that would be the ideal strategy, but it's hard to ask your players, all right, so we're just going to do nothing like we've done all year. We're going to just totally, you know, reverse it. And in theory, yeah, that makes sense. But again, you can't just necessarily do that. It doesn't, you know, work like that. Yeah, as you can uh, see on PFF.com from Seth Galina, him breaking down national championship, that's what Ohio State decided to do, is just not change anything, even though you're facing the most explosive <laughs> passing offense college football has ever seen. Sigh. All right, quick shout out to our sponsors. Our first time depositors, that monkey knife fight that put at least 20 bucks into their account while using promo code PFF to receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that 20 bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games that won the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Halfway through, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We are on to the Browns at the Chiefs. Kansas City open nine and a half point favorites, up to 10 across most books. Game total from 55 up to 56. So, you know... Got to be careful calling uh, defenses the kryptonite for anybody because last week I said the Steelers might be the kryptonite matchup for Baker Mayfield. Did not happen. No Stefanski, no Batonio, no OBJ, no problem for this Browns offense. Andrew, talk to me a little bit about Baker Mayfield. And then, you know, do you think ultimately we see over or under 30 points from the Browns offense this week? Yeah, dude. Baker Mayfield has been absolutely balling out. PFF grade since week nine, 90.5. Patrick Holmes, 88.5. So. I mean, it's clear which quarterback is the superior uh, signal caller in this matchup. No, I just got to give credit to Baker Mayfield. He's obviously played so well, especially after the Odo Beckham Jr. injury. And he's been an actual fantasy asset, you know, like we thought he would be after his rookie season. Since week 13, he's averaged 21.7 fantasy points per game, which ranks top 10 at position, and 28 point expected fantasy points per game, which ranks fifth. So from a DFS perspective, I think that Baker Mayfield has a lot of appeal because he is a cheaper option that actually lets you jam in a lot of the chiefs, you know, skill players and lets you pay up. So I will have some lineups built with Baker Mayfield because look, it's a really high over under. And if the Patrick Mahomes led chiefs are going to score a lot of points, then Baker Mayfield is going to have to score a lot of points. And in most cases, this hasn't worked in the past where you just play the team against the chiefs and hope that they pick rack up yardage and garbage time. But Baker Mayfield has been actually efficient as a passer over the past couple of weeks. So I do like Baker Mayfield, this matchup, but 
in terms of 30 points from them. I'm going to probably take the under. Last week, they just ran so pure. Everything just so, like, worked in their favor. Like, you know, the pass to Jarvis Landry, he just, like, he just just easily avoids all the tackles and takes it 40 yards in the house. Kareem Hunt had two carries basically from, I think, like, the 10-yard line. He was able to score on both of them just because, you know, the Steelers just couldn't, you know, happen to wrap him up. And I've seen Kareem Hunt, you know, run those exact plays against other teams and get stuffed. So everything worked out fair for the Cleveland Browns last week. And I just, it's hard for, for that repeat ref, repeat performance against the Chiefs, especially, dude, I, I can't bet against Andy Reid off the bye week. Yeah, man, you didn't even mention, uh, you know, the first snap of the freaking oh, yeah. game turning into a Browns uh, touchdown after we're flying over Big Ben's head. So, no, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. And credit to Baker Mayfield. And I would just say, people, again, don't mistake OBJ being out as Baker Mayfield being better because he hasn't had OBJ. I think it's the same effect we saw with Deshaun Watson, without DeAndre Hopkins, and even Teddy Bridgewater without Christian McCaffrey for a lot of this year. Look, Baker with OBJ threw to his first read on 63% of his dropbacks in 2019 than the first six weeks of 2020 without 70.3% of his dropbacks. Like Baker, we've seen it. When he's under pressure, you know, things fall apart. But when he's kept clean, when he just goes to his first read and you can, you know, use that howitzer for an army he's got, things usually work out pretty well. Without OBJ, in week seven through the wild card round, only Aaron Rodgers has been better in PFF grade when targeting the first read. Truly, when Baker Mayfield knows where he wants to put the ball, things have been great. Now, without OBJ, yes, he's been more, you know, willing to do that. But just imagine if we can get that same attitude with a talent like OBJ on the outside. So as our boss man, Chris Collinsworth, so eloquently put it with Rashard Higgins, like he's not fast. He's not a great route runner. Like Baker just put him the ball. Imagine if you can get someone like OBJ out there that can actually change the way defenses are covering you, actually get him intertwined with the offense. Like that's producing the best overall ceiling for everybody involved, Baker included. It's been great to see him, you know, turns around because it wasn't too long ago that we were just, you know, grouping Baker as truly one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. He's shown us that is not the case just realize you know just taking obj out of the equation has not been why he's been better it's been a change that has helped come to fruition because of that but just realize best version of this browns offense still certainly includes odell beckham jr andrew moving on this running back room because you know talked about kareem hunt we did not mention nick chubb my goodness man i mean earlier this year i got not misquoted on this podcast, but I was kind of talking about Nick Chubb maybe being the best running back in the league. And of course, on Twitter, that goes out on Ian Hart. It's absolutely thinks Nick Chubb's <laughs> the best running back in the league. Now I'm actually starting to believe it, man. After what we've seen all year and just even what he's been able to do as a receiver, I think has gone underrated as well. Andrew, if every NFL roster was deconstructed, we had a league-wide fantasy draft, you know, like what someone might do when they start like a Madden franchise, no contracts involved. How many RBs, if any, are you selecting ahead of Nick Chubb? So there's probably like probably like four running backs I would take in front of him. So Kamara, McCaffrey, Barkley, and Dalvin Cook. Saquon coming off the coming off the injury. Dude, he's a generational talent. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fade the generational talent. I mean, Barkley was the one that I was probably most on the on the fence about, just because again, like you mentioned, he's coming off the injury. But look, you know, someone that you would think would be on there would be Derrick Henry. You just be like, oh well, automatically jamming Derrick Henry, but. No, I mean, Nick Chubb, had it not been for his injury, you know, I wouldn't say he would have rushed for 2,000 yards, but he would have been right up there with Derrick Henry. He was right up there with Derrick Henry last year and just lost that on the rushing title. And I think that Nick Chubb is going to be out for vengeance next year. And because he, he is so deserving of a rushing title just because of how good he is. And he just really ran bad, you know, the last couple of years, obviously losing out Derrick Henry last year and then getting hurt this year. I mean, he still rushed for 1,000 yards despite, you know, missing half the season, which... 
look, that's hard to do in a pass-happy league that is the NFL in 2020. So credit to Nick Chubb. And, you know, I traded for Nick Chubb in the Dynasty League. I traded Derrick Henry to get Nick Chubb. And, yeah, it felt bad, you know, throughout this season. Didn't feel great about it. But now looking back, you know, heading into 2021, I am happier that I have Nick Chubb as opposed to Derrick Henry heading into next season. Yeah, I'm with you. I do not think Henry deserves to be ahead of Chubb real life or fancy. You know, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey probably deserves a little bit of word too if we're looking at some of the injured guys. But yes, Chubb, anyone's idea of top five. And I think we all know this as a rusher, but just realize this is not, you know, him benefiting from a great offensive line because the Browns do have that. But, you know, looking at stats that more reflect the running back in particular, I mean, yards after contact per rush, he's tied for second among uh, 97 RBs with at least 100 carries since 2018. Force missed tackles per attempt, tied for second. PFF rushing great. He's second. I mean, this guy has been so legit as a rusher, and we know that, but don't count him out as a receiver. Just because Kareem Hunt is better than Nick Chubb doesn't mean Chubb can't be a great receiver in his own right. Maybe not great, but at least good. Because look, since 2018, Nick Chubb, six drops on 91 targets. Since Kareem Hunt has joined the Browns, he has six drops on 93 targets. Like, okay, I'm not not denying that Hunt's maybe made more out of those opportunities than Chubb, but this is not someone that, you know, offenses should be afraid to throw the ball to. The Browns we saw last week, you know, getting that big chunk play on the screen. Just get this dude in the open field. Has not shown, you know, stone hands by any stretch of the imagination. More touches for Nick Chubb. And yeah, I like that call about a potential 2021 blast off based on, you know, the lack of, the lack of respect he's generally gotten in these sorts of arguments. All right, moving on to Jarvis Landry because, hey man, I've been someone hesitant to put Jarvis Landry in the upper echelon tier of wide receivers over the years and yet he just keeps on balling and particularly deserves a ton of credit for doing it this year you know as the number one pass game target during OBJ's absence so Andrew now we're facing a KC secondary that you know good not great maybe you know we can dive some more into slot receiver specific numbers but do you see Landry putting together another big week against Tyron Matthew and company everything points to him potentially having another big week I mean the targets are there for him he's clearly Baker Mayfield's favorite target in the passing game he has had no games fewer than six targets since week 12 obviously not counting the game where they were all out because of COVID 19.2 fantasy points per game so I mean again this is the highest over under game of the of the week so you want to target pieces in this game and we know we mentioned the Rams receivers you know earlier on you know in the 5k range you know Jarvis Landry is like smack dab in the middle of all these Bucks receivers and all these Rams receivers and ideally he seems like a pretty prime option because he's playing in such a you know high scoring game and he is the number one receiver and look again He's probably too cheap based on his status as the number one. Like all those other receivers, you know, you have Brown and Godwin, you know, it's 1A, 1B, 1C with Mike Evans. Like it's really hard to figure out, you know, which guy is the alpha wide receiver where it's pretty clear in the Browns offense who it is. And again, I think Rashard Higgins has some potential appeal. He is very low priced and he sees a lot of air yards. So if the Browns are really airing it out, it could be a Rashard Higgins week. But ultimately, you know, Landry is clearly the safest option because his targets are almost guaranteed. And look, he makes plays and he's been Baker's guy and he's been really productive. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones might actually have the slightly better matchups on the outside. But like I'm looking at it right now in Ultimate, it's not too big of a difference, you know, in terms of KC being ranked top five versus slot versus top 12. It's not an ideal matchup. And I do think you're probably right. Just chase the volume with Landry. If you want to go with that Higgins one, maybe. But I mean, Landry's the only one we can feel truly good about in this passing offense. Yeah, agreed. I do like Austin Hooper a lot. The matchup is really, really good for him against the Chiefs. The Chiefs have been one of the worst teams against the tight end position. And it's weird because this particular slate on DFS, Austin Hooper is at 3.8K on DraftKings. I think that 
the double tight end thing again is something that is usually not something we recommend ever doing but considering Travis Kelsey could be one of those tight ends and he really isn't a tight end in his statistical category you can make the case where you just look at Travis Kelsey just pretend he's a wide receiver throw him in your flex and you play Austin Hooper to save salary at 3.8k because that guy has been seeing insane amount of targets insane amount of volume from Baker Mayfield and the matchup is definitely there again against the Chiefs a lot of the second most fantasy points to tight ends over the last four weeks of the season so if you can't afford I mean I'd probably just rather play Hooper over Rashard Higgins because I know the targets are going to be there for an Austin Hooper and he does have a lot of equity um, in the end zone. I like that call. Only Stefan Diggs have more receiving yards than Travis Kelsey in this entire season. Not just a tight end, people. <laughs> Truly a number one wide receiver. Not his fault. He shares a roster with Tyreek Hill. Moving on to the Chiefs offense while we're talking about him. So Mahomes likely going to finish number two in the MVP race. But man, like I think we all know he's still a single most scary QB to face, uh, you know, regardless of, you know, we're talking about who's winning the awards. So Chiefs offense, they've underwhelmed for stretches, particularly in the second half of the season. Do you see them flip, flipping a switch with the playoffs finally here? Or is there actually reason to be concerned based on you know the Broncos and Falcons performance from the past month I'm not concerned especially with Andy Reid off the bye week dude he just he's he's basically undefeated you know he's had some time to rest and we've had these players basically off you know we haven't seen Mahomes since week 16 at this point and I, I think it's kind of maybe people kind of forgetting about the Chiefs a little bit because of all these other teams have been playing and we really haven't seen and Mahomes kind of was lackluster to end the year but like, I think they were always just looking ahead to, like, these games don't matter. We're going to the playoffs. Like, we're going to win the Super Bowl. We're going we're gonna to repeat as champions. So, I think they're going to be locked and dialed in. And, look, look, this Browns defense you know, gave up 500 yards last week to Ben Roethlisberger. I know they were down a couple cornerbacks, but, look, it doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, Denzel Ward coming back maybe will help a little bit. But, I mean, against Tyreek Hill, against Travis Kelsey, I don't know how many how they're going to stop him. And, and, look, Andy Reid, after the bye week, with Patrick Mahomes at quarterbacks, he's 6-0. and and the Chiefs have averaged 38 points per game in those six wins. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna preview my pick. I'm gonna take the Chiefs. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, had a had this guy in the podcast about a month ago, Patrick Daughtery from Roto World, and I loved his kind of take on this situation. He called the Chiefs pretty much like the Warriors, and that KC has just wanted to get to the playoffs for months. It's kind of like what we saw, you know, when Curry and KD and all those guys were completely crushing it, and there was just no reason to even get all fussed up about a regular season game. That's what it's turned into for Patrick Mahomes. The guy is already on top of the football world. I don't know how, but truly, the guy just hasn't had any issues recently you have to go back to november 19 2016 when iowa state beat texas tech 66 to 10 to find the last time that mahones started a game and lost by two scores so yes i think he is going to flip the switch and go back immediately to being the best quarterback on this planet all due respect to tom brady for having the best career ever but we have never seen someone play the game at a higher level than mahomes has shown so far expect that to keep on keeping on with finally something for this offense to play for so with that in mind I mean, we got this Chiefs backfield mix of banged up and ineffective all season long. You know, Le'Veon Bell had that knee injury in week 17. Seemed like maybe more of just rest than anything. But we also got Clyde Edwards-Alaire trying to come back, play through the pain, suffering with that high ankle sprain. Andrew, are the Chiefs even going to mess around with this backfield? Or are they just going you know, to let Mahomes air the ball out to his heart's desire? I would assume they just let Mahomes air the ball out. Again, we don't see problems fixed overnight. And I really can't imagine that the Chiefs would go into their bye week, their extended rest period, and be like, all right, when the playoffs come around, we're going to establish the run. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to give it to Mahomes. Like, come on. Like, this is what they do. They throw the ball because it works the best. You know, they're the opposite of Se – they're the Seattle South, as I like to call them. So, they do exactly what they should be doing. And, 
look, does Clyde Edwards-Alaire have some interest in terms of DFS? I do think so. But again, we're not sure of his status right now. I haven't heard any news about him. You know, oh, he's good to go. Like, he's fully healthy. You know, he's still got the questionable tag. So we have to wait till we hear any more updates about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But again, you know, the Chiefs are projected to score the most points this week. So he's only 5.5K. So could he just find the end zone one or two times? Yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. So I don't think Edwards-Alaire is someone you just don't, you just stay away from because he has a lot of touchdown equity potentially in a matchup where the Chiefs could, could score a lot of points. Yeah, Clyde, four games before injury, had 15, 12, 21, and 15 touches. So, you know, I get it. He's not exactly, wasn't the world beater we were hoping, you know, the starting running back in the Chiefs offense to be, but still had some big games. But yeah, it's going to be a passing show, everybody. Only five games this year to Mahomes have under 40 pass attempts, and every single one of those, you know, obviously consisted of KC holding double-digit leads for most of the games. And, you know, the one that really stuck out was against the Bills, but that was because the Bills, and we talked about this earlier with the Rams, like the Bills are fourth in terms of just run plays versus eight plus defenders in the box like they invite teams to run the ball because they know that is you know 2020 now it's 2021 teams you know should be wanting to pass because it's more effective so they invite offense to run the ball browns you know they're on that side of things but they're still only 20th not leaning too far one way or another i think the chiefs will be able to do pretty much whatever they want on offense and control the ball you can check out my uh, mismatch manifesto article on pff.com on wednesday but looking at the combined passing epa i mean the chiefs are popping at plus 0.44 Nobody else is even at point three. So truly, this is the biggest mismatch of the entire week. This Chiefs passing game versus the Browns secondary. Not to even hate on the Browns secondary that much. They've been banged up and stuff. But it's just the Chiefs are that much better compared to most other secondaries. This is simply what happens. So looking at this Chiefs passing game, though, because we know Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I mean, they're massive issues for any defense to try to figure out. Gun to your head, though, Andrew. Who's a larger issue for the Browns defense specifically to deal with this week? And there's no wrong answer, but Kelsey or Hill. I'll go with Travis Kelsey. I just think that they will actually have no answers for him. At least they have Denzel Ward back, who is fast, who could potentially, okay, he can run with Tyreek Hill. We can play safety over the top. We have Ronnie Harrison. Like, there are some players there, but the Browns have been bad against tight ends all season, and they really haven't played any of the actual elite tight ends outside Mark Andrews. So they have not played a Darren Waller. It's Travis Kelsey is the best tight end that they have faced all season. And honestly, he could put up 200 yards in this game. Like he's eyeing the Darren Waller 200 yard game. And he's like, all right, I want to get myself a 200 yard chain. So Travis Kelsey Brown's third most fantasy points allowed to the tight ends this season. And yeah, I have no idea how they're going to stop him. Yeah, I asked a very similar question to uh, Danny Kelly from The Ringer on this podcast last week, and he agreed with you with Kelsey. I get it. I mean, the dude, again, second receiving yards this year, second since uh, 2018 behind only Hopkins. You know, very tough to disagree. I do think Hill's impact, you know, on this offense is just so rare. I mean, nobody has more deep ball targets since 2018, just considered wide open or purely open than Tyree Kill. And even as a runner, man, I'd love to see them get this dude three to five carries in the playoffs now. Last game of the year, can't hold anything back, Brett, as Dan Fouts once said. I mean, only Robert Woods has been more efficient than Tyree Kill as a rusher among wide receivers. Or just anyone, really, over the past few years. 6.9 yards per carry from Tyree Kill with some of that being as a true RB. And I mean, you just look at the motion, man. The things that, like, defenses have to do pre-snap when Tyree Kill just goes screaming across the formation. Only the 49ers and Ravens utilize more motion than the Chiefs in 2020. And that's really, you know, taking us to our picks. That's what makes the Chiefs such a freaking pain in the ass to try to defend. Because you have Patrick Mahomes who can make any throw on the field. You have Tyreek Hill who can run by everyone. You have Travis Kills you can get open against anyone. And they have Andy Reid and, and his entire Chiefs coaching staff continuously putting them in great positions to succeed. So with that said, Andrew, what's your pick? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Don't really care how big the spread is. I'm just going to take the Chiefs. <laughs> I had Browns plus 10 written down, but I've talked myself out of it on the podcast. Yeah, I agree with you. Can't put the spread high enough. We will see if Nick Chubb and company can just have so much overwhelming success on the ground that maybe they can keep things within 10 points. I get it. Chiefs are the fifth worst defense in yards before contact allowed per attempt. But man... You, you take one possession off against this Chiefs <laughs> offense, you're going to be down in an awful hurry. So I will be taking the Chiefs with you against the spread. One more matchup. Quick uh, shout-out to a uh, sponsor before we get there, though. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year of Action Pro Subscription Access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription, offering tailor-made tools to make Avid and New better is better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. And this offer also also only applies to first-time Elite annual subscribers. So that's promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite subscription access and one year of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. What a combo there. Last matchup, everybody. We got the Buccaneers at the Saints. Take three. Saints sitting at three. They open us three-and-a-half point favorites, slightly down to three. Game total up from 50-and-a-half to 51-and-a-half. So look. TB12, Tom Brady, Andrew, he's your guy. You got his jersey in the background. If you're watching uh, this podcast on YouTube, you can see it. He's looked more human against the Saints than any other defense this season. Will the third time be the charm for Brady in this Bucks offense? I think the third time will be the charm for Tom Brady, Tampa Brady, you know. There we go. So the thing with Brady and this offense is the last time they played the Saints, Antonio Brown just showed up. The offense was not clicking. They didn't have all the pieces kind of working together, but that's kind of what's formed over the past couple weeks. Antonio Brown is now fully integrated into this offense. They have Mike Evans. They have Gronk. They're they're using Cameron Brait. Everyone is kind of being used, and I don't know if this is really the same offense anymore that the Bucks, you know, played with when they played the Saints. You know, back in Week One, of course. You know, when it was all new. You know, Brady was had all new receivers basically for the first time. And then in week nine, when, okay, we have Antonio Brown, like, let's throw him the ball a bunch. Oh, wait, what are we doing? Wait, we're not sure. So I think that this Buccaneers offense is just so much more in line and organized now than it was in those past matchups. So, again, I think that they'll have much more success against the Saints defense, especially because the Saints have a good pass rush, but the, you know, Tampa Bay can block. And, you know, there was a couple matchups last or earlier this year. I think Ali Marpet actually missed one of those games against the Saints, and that caused a lot of, you know, pressure for Tom Brady. And that's not going to be the case. Marpet is obviously healthy. Brady's been had great protection, you know, during their hot streak recently. So I think that the Buccaneers office is going to have much more success in this matchup. It really is a great point. Like the Saints have caught the Buccaneers like on the two weeks that you would most want to play this offense. Week one when they're trying to figure everything out. And then obviously, you know, in week nine when we had Antonio Brown back in the full thing. So I think that's why when you look at some of Brady's numbers against the Saints, we see just some oddities popping out. Week nine had a season-high 22 pressure dropbacks. I mean, he has four turnover-worthy plays against the Saints, only six against the entire rest of the league. So only, I mean, look, this guy... Brady this year leads the NFL on completions, pass, and passing yards on Ballstone at least 20 yards downfield. Like the noodle arm narrative is not there for Brady. His arm looks absolutely fine. It has looked fine all year. Just two for nine on deep balls against the Saints. So how much of that is the Saints defense being great? I think a little bit, but more than anything, I do think to your point, yes, we just quite ha- haven't quite seen this version of the Buccaneers offense clicking facing the Saints defense. So not anyone's idea of a great matchup, but at a minimum, I do think we see the Saints, you know, putting up a bit better effort 
than that, uh, you know, excuse me, the Buccaneers putting up a bit better effort than that three-point performance we saw against the Saints the last time around in week nine. So one big kind of individual matchup that's stolen the show a little bit in these Saints-Buccaneers matchups over the years has been Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore. It's been swinging pretty heavily in Lattimore's favor in recent spots. You know, Marshawn Lattimore, someone that we have seen get roasted in shadow coverage from time to time. But you know what? If you're good enough to kind of earn that uh, duty in the, you know, during the week anyway and be asked to track number one wide receiver, you deserve some credit just for being in that position to, to, uh, to, to begin with. So, Andrew, Evans versus Lattimore, who do you give the edge to and why? I guess I'll just give the edge back to Lattimore. I mean, he's had a lot of success against Mike Evans, and Brady doesn't need to necessarily force the narrative to get his ball to Mike Evans. Look, he has plenty of other options that he can go to. He can go to AB, go to Godwin, you know, Fournette out of the backfield, Gronk, Cameron Brate, like I mentioned before, is getting more involved. So, and Brady's not one to, oh, I need to get this ball to Mike Evans. You know, Mike Evans has had plenty of catches this year, plenty of balls thrown his way. And it's not to say that, oh, Mike Evans, you can't play him. You know, Marshall Lattimore is going to, you know, absolutely neutralize him. You know, Marshall Lattimore, again, you know, it seems like he shows up for these matchups too. Like there are other matchups against much worse receivers that he just doesn't show up for and just doesn't play well. So yeah, I still will. I mean, I think it's important to consider it, especially because, you know, we're trying to figure out which Bucks receiver we want to play in our DFS lineups. And, you know, look, Mike Evans has probably the worst, you know, wide receiver cornerback matchup. It's just something that you use when you're trying to figure out and trying to, you know, decide which guy you pick. You know, you have to have some type of, you know, information to kind of tip the scale in one way or the other. And I guess this kind of tips the scale a little bit more to some of the other receivers for me. It's a tiebreaker and I think certainly uh, lowers his ceiling. I will say we're, we see similar kind of Devontae Adams, Jalen Ramsey conversation topics with this. I mean, Lattimore, he played 17 snaps in the slot versus the Chiefs this year, otherwise under 10 in every single game. So Evans has played 33% snaps in the slot. That's why you look back at their last game and Lattimore technically hasn't given up a reception to Evans all year, I believe, in his coverage. But you know when Evans catches four balls for 64 yards, I don't exactly want to reward Lattimore for not moving to the slot to track him there. So, you know what lowers the ceiling certainly wouldn't expect you know a boom game from evans but man you know keep going back to my playmaker article check it out everybody it's a good time number one among 153 players in playmaker rate with at least 50 touches this year was mike evans 20 catches of 20 plus yards 13 receiving touchdowns you know he has been Brady's number one factor all year long particularly in the red zone as we saw last week even when he is playing through the pain can still be plenty effective so be careful about fitting as a whole but i certainly do understand lowering expectations just a bit Andrew, we touched on this a little bit, but A.B., Goblin, Gronk, Fournette, Rojo, a lot of other options if things can't go through through uh, Mike Evans. Which of these guys do you see having the biggest impact this week and why? We'll assume for the sake of this that Rojo and Fournette will both be active. So for me, I think I want to lean towards Chris Godwin. Just looking at him, versus, it's really really worse him versus Antonio Brown is kind of what I'm looking at. And he's got the edge on Brown in target share an air yard share in the last four weeks. And the air yard share is actually pretty significant. You know, Godwin is seeing a lot. I mean, look, all the Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers are seeing downfield targets because again, like you mentioned, Tom Brady is, is really leveraging the deep ball this year, but you know, over the past four weeks, it is Chris Godwin that is seeing a 27% air yard share. So I do like that. I like the first upside and look, Dude, of course, you know, on the broadcast, they're going to mention Tom Brady. And oh, yeah, Tom Brady said Chris Godwin has the best hands ever. And Chris Godwin has like the worst game of his career, dropping like five balls. And look, I think that that's important for Brady to get that fixed with Chris Godwin because Chris Godwin has shown, you know, a magnificent hands throughout his career. So again, it's a fluke thing. You know, the Deontay dropption, Deontay jo Johnson drops, <laughs> the Jerry Judy drops. Like this, this isn't something that happens. You don't just drop five balls and then you're, all right, well, 
you got to throw him away. He can't throw him the ball anymore. He's going to drop five balls, you know, the next week. I don't anticipate that happening. So I like Chris Godwin to really bounce back. You know, he had six drops entering, six drops entering last week's game in his NFL career, and he had five. So uh, I like him in this matchup. In the PFF wide receiver quarterback chart, has him with the highest advantage of all Bucks receivers. And it's funny because that chart, every single week, I just I give it a quick glance, and every single week it's like Bucks receiver, Bucks receiver, Bucks receiver. <laughs> so this week it is Chris Godwin at the top. I think Antonio Brown's like third. So again, it is really hard. To, they all, again, they all could have really good games because we saw this, you know, last week's slate. Steelers wide receivers. I mean, they all kind of worked out for you because they all did really well. So there's a scenario where they all can kind of hit, but. For me, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to go with Chris Godwin. You might have stumbled on something special there with Deontay <laughs> drops, and I haven't haven't heard that one before. Oh, I might uh, if, you, if you see me send that tweet out, you know, just know I did in fact steal it from you. I, I like that one. I think Godwin's a very good call. He has been getting the usage, but yeah, man, AB has been the difference maker of late. I was surprised to see his snaps down. They were more or less splitting reps between him and Cam Bray. You know, wanting to go more two tight end. You know, if I had to guess, I would think that was more you know try to deal with that Washington football team uh, pass rush and all the you know kind of problems that they can present. So what next? necessarily expect to see AB down earn these 50% again because man last four games five catches 93 yards touchdown four catches 35 yards and a score 11 catches 138 yards two touchdowns most recently two catches 49 yards and a score team high 2.05 yards per route run this season third most targets without a drop at 65 among all players in the league behind only Larry Fitzgerald and Tim Patrick so AB we kind of wondered when they were a little bit slow out the gate if we were getting the same version of him but man if he can keep his head on straight you know, get back into 2021, still on the Buccaneers, you know, and not doing anything too stupid off the field. We're going to have to, you know, really look hard at these wide receiver rankings, man. Cause if we're getting legit, maybe not prime AB back, but anyone's idea of a great wide receiver, this 2021 offense is going to be even scarier than what we saw in 2020. But we do have to address the, the matchup, the, the marquee matchup in this, in this game, which is Chancey Garter Johnson, which, <laughs> which Saint, which, Bucks receiver, is he going to try to get disqualified? Is it going to be AB? Because AB has been really behaved, but I mean, I think Mike Evans has gotten ejected in one of these games before, hasn't he? Uh, him and Lattimore. Evans cheap shotted the <laughs> hell out of Lattimore a couple years ago in just a brute. Man, like I put that cheap shot right up there with Josh, or, excuse me, OBJ going after uh, Josh Norman's head uh, way back when. So that's a very good point. Michael Thomas, Javon Wims, and Anthony Miller are the three <laughs> wide receivers that, with some certainty, we believe have punched Chauncey Cha- uh, Gardner Johnson <laughs> this year. Great point. Great storyline to keep an eye on. My money would be on AB snapping, but I do like your point about Evans potentially hey man we talked about him going the slot more often maybe that's the uh <laughs> matchup that will trigger another punch flying towards uh chauncey gardner johnson's direction great point all right moving on to the saints so drew Brees, you know wasn't spectacular against the bears but didn't make any mistakes you know when's a when's a when but noodle arm we've seen noodling over under 30 points for the saints offense this week andrew i'm gonna go over i mean this buccaneers defense yes they got a good pass rush but i mean taylor heineke look like a freaking superstar out there against you know what was supposed to be a good defense like Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean you know started the season out as you know top tier corners and they've really just regressed poorly over the past couple weeks and look 
you know, Drew Brees has his top two weapons now. He has Alvin Kamara. He has Michael Thomas. And all he's done really since returning from his injury has thrown for three touchdowns, three touchdowns, and two touchdowns. And he had the one game where he didn't throw any because Alvin Kamara obviously scored six touchdowns. So we could be easily seeing, you know, Drew Brees having, you know, 10 passing touchdowns since coming back from his injury. And we wouldn't really be as complaining as much about his performance. Again, yeah, he's not going to be stretching the field. But look, that's why they have Taysom Hill. <laughs> like that, like that's legit Taysom Hill's role is he's going to come in and chuck the ball deep, which again, if you're playing Drew Brees in fantasy, that obviously hurts because that limits his, obviously his ceiling. But I think at this point, we kind of know Drew Brees has a limited ceiling. And if you are going to play quarterback in this game, I think it just probably makes more sense to, if you're going to kind of capture a potential shootout, it makes way more sense to potentially just grab it with Brady, who obviously has way more upside because he is the one that's actually throwing the ball deep than uh, Drew Brees. Yeah, I mean, in that second Buccaneers game where the Saints were kind of the first uh, offense to really expose that defense, it wasn't Brees throwing deep. It wasn't even him overwhelmingly feeding Kamara and Michael Thomas. And this is maybe what makes this version of the Saints offense scarier than past additions because that was kind of the verdict on how to beat them. You know, condense the field. Don't let him throw the ball over your heads. He's probably not going to try much anyway and just make, it really, make life really tough on Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. But in that second Buccaneers game, Brees went 8-for-8 eight eight when not throwing to his first read. Season high, 83 0.1 PFF grade on those passes. So look, even if Carlton Davis can have some success with Michael Thomas, even if, you know, Devin White and company can contain Alvin Kamara, we got more problems than usual with Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, Adam Trotman, you know, weapons really more all over the place. Even Deontay Harris was getting more involved than we've seen throughout the year uh, in that wild card win. So a lot more options to go around. I'm not saying the Saints, you know, are overwhelmingly loaded with, you know, ballers on offense, but certainly enough guys to make life difficult as they did in week nine with those 38 points. So since then Rams Chiefs Falcons twice have all gone for at least 27 and to your point yes Washington look pretty good as well so certainly not you know a juggernaut of a defense they're facing because of that what are we making of Alvin Kamara man because he hasn't gone nuts against the Buccaneers but there's no Derrick Henry now there's really no one to compete with Alvin Kamara's price tag on DFS I haven't seen ridiculous target share but come on there's no way we can fake Kamara pretty much in cash and tournaments alike right the thing is we know that the target share is there and look Deontay Harris man 14 routes, seven targets. That's not going to happen again. I can't imagine it's going to happen again. You know, he had a 3.3 A dot. So to me, it was clear that for some reason, Sean Payton just wanted to, hey, we're going to run the ball with Alan Kamara and we're going to use Deontay Harris in this, you know, pass catching role near the line of scrimmage, which I get was fine. I mean, they were in control for that game for most of it, even though, you know, the, the score was close. I mean, the Bears offense was just doing absolutely nothing. So... I mean, Kamara, though, you know, they're feeding Kamara. You know, week 16, 22 carries, career high, gets COVID. Week 18, 23 carries, career high. Like, and it's funny because Alvin Kamara came out and was like, yeah, you know, you know, having the week off was like another bye week to me. I was like, dude, like, didn't you just have COVID? Did it just like not do anything to you? And I don't know. I mean, it's so, and that's the thing that's going to be tough to talk about, you know, next season when we talk about some of these players that had COVID and did it affect them or not because, it's inconclusive, it seems like. You know, Zeke had it, and we saw his efficiency fall off, and then Cam had, Cam was good, and then he had it, and then it, it, it's 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 so hard to tell what it does to these guys, and I guess it, that's just the ultimate conclusion is that it really is conclusive trying to figure out what it did to you because Alvin Kamara come, came out stronger, it seems like, because now he can shoulder 23 carries in a game, which he's literally never done. He's literally never had 20 carries in a game until, like, the past month, and he's done it twice. So they're feeding Alvin Kamara, which I love to see so... 
I mean, I think they just did it in a weird way. You know, they gave him his touches through carries as opposed to throwing it to him. So if his carries come down, I would assume that those would get replaced with receptions. And like I mentioned before, you know, Deontay Harris, seven targets on 14 routes run. I just, I can't, that can't be a repeatable performance. Yeah. I mean, Lamar Jackson's another guy post COVID to just really ball the hell out. And <laughs> it's like, a, no one wants to really talk about it in the media. Cause you're almost like trying to say COVID is not a big deal. We all understand how important it is. And we're in a pandemic. We all understand COVID is a very real, very serious issue, but yeah, it's one of these things where, you know, unless we're getting like pregame reports about a player actively being limited, I don't know if we can really change projections based on someone coming back from COVID. We just don't have enough information about it, you know, about the individual player. And then about, you know, the past examples. I mean, before Lamar Jackson's first game back, like Schefter came out with a tweet that was like you know Lamar Jackson come back from COVID very serious like we'll see if he can play the whole game and we're all freaking out like what the hell is Schefter heard is Lamar not gonna play the whole game dude goes off and you know has one of the best games of his freaking season so yeah very difficult and at least in this situation no we do not need to worry about those longer term effects and we've really just seen you know Sean Payton willing to make Alvin Kamara his full-on feature back in the playoffs and six career playoff games 64% snaps 66 69 66 75 and most three recently 70% snaps average of 17.5 touches per game. So, you know, with all that said, I'd be down for Kamara as usual price tag, but 7,900 on DraftKings, they dropped him 600 bucks after that game <laughs> last week when he had freaking 25 touches, whatever it was. So it's literally the cheapest he's been since that Taysom Hill ridiculousness was going off and he wasn't getting any targets. Lock button Alvin Kamara in DFS formats of all shapes and sizes this week, everybody. Last note on this matchup. So again, Bucks made Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team look very confident through the air. Will the divisional round be the Michael Thomas's first game this year with 100 plus yards and a touchdown, Andrew? Yes or no? I think it is. And the reason I say that is because I think the Buccaneers can actually make this game more competitive. It's something I stumbled upon. I wasn't even looking for it. A statistic that I, I found about Michael Thomas last year. He actually led the NFL. Again, obviously he led the NFL in targets, receptions, everything like that last year. But something that popped out to me was he led the NFL in targets when the Saints were trailing by seven or more points. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, like I wonder... You know, have the Saints been playing with positive game scripts in the games that Michael Thomas has played? And if you think back, you know, they've played the Buccaneers with Michael Thomas and they've basically blown out the Buccaneers both those games. So that's part of the reason why I think his numbers have not been super great because they've won all the games that he's played in with Drew Brees and they really haven't had to force the narrative. And I think last week, again, they were in control of that game. So Drew Brees didn't need to force feed Michael Thomas because, oh, you know, we're competing with Mitchell Trubisky. We got to make sure we score more points. You know, it was clear from the get-go, you know, the beginning of the game, it was like slant to Michael Thomas, you know, into Michael Thomas, like getting him involved, getting him a touchdown, kind of like, all right, Thomas, you got your touchdown. You're, you're getting back involved with the offense. We don't need to target you like crazy because, you know, our defense is getting the job done on the other side. But I think in this particular matchup, the Buccaneers are going to potentially, you know, come out with a lead. The Buccaneers have been one of the highest scoring teams in the first half over the past couple weeks. I think they're actually number one in the league in terms of points scored in the first half. So we could see the Saints with a negative game script, which just means, okay, more targets for Kamara, more targets for Michael Thomas, and that means good things for our fantasy lineups. Yeah, credit to Carlton Davis for doing a really good job on Michael Thomas this year in two games. You know, he's caught eight passes for, uh, you know, 68 yards on just 11 targets. You know, no scores on Davis and the Buccaneers, but it's that – it's that target number. 11 targets, people. That's usually what we're seeing from Thomas in one game. Now with the season on the line and everything, would not be shocking at all to see him easily surpass double-digit targets, particularly to your point, if things are a little bit more competitive. You know, look, Michael Thomas... 
has had his quarterback get hurt again. He's done it with Teddy, now Taysom, now Breeze. I mean, look, give Michael Thomas a freaking strong arm quarterback for once before we start just ripping this guy apart, <laughs> calling him slant boy, this or that. The guy gets open continuously in a, one of the more crowded underneath areas of the field you can find in the NFL. So, you know, I know we all like to say, oh, Michael Thomas doesn't go deep. He only runs slants. You know, maybe pay a little more attention to quarterbacks throwing the ball and realize that probably is all Michael Thomas can run. And the fact he ends up getting as open as he does time after time again just shows you how talented he is. So I'm, hey, he's, we were talking about, you know, top five 2021 wide receivers. It's going to be awkward not, not putting Michael Thomas on that list going 2021. Just realize he's still anybody's idea of a top 10 option at position. Andrew, we've reached the final verdict what's your what's your pick here saints buccaneers game total spread who you got i'm going to go with the over because this is the only game that's being played in a dome so i'm gonna i'm gonna buy into the the dome narrative and that you know perfect pristine air conditions for you know perfect flight travel for footballs to fly through the air so i'm gonna take the over there despite the fact that we have two quarterbacks with the average age of 42 points (laughs) i will be actually taking saints minus three i'm fine laying those points we have a bunch of evidence that this defense can give brady problems and as great as he has looked towards this you know final stretch run a lot of that has come against some bad defenses so look breeze and company they're humming they've been humming really against the buccaneers throughout this year as well and again we know the saints defense is certainly also playing at a higher level than the buccaneers defense so to me it all adds up to the saints capturing this one not expecting to blow up by any stretch of the imagination but just three points i think that they earned that and at least you know should be at another point and a half higher at the current line Andrew, that's going to do it, man. We have gone through four games in record time, hour and 30 minutes. I don't mind spending a little more time on these pods since we're only giving you, uh, uh, giving all you listeners out there two per week for the postseason. But Andrew, let the people know what you got on the docket this week on PFF.com, where they can find you on Twitter. So I'm writing about Allen Robinson. I've dropped name dropped him a couple of times during this podcast, but just kind of talking about his, his free agency prospects, you know, where he could potentially land and basically how underrated he still is and how the fact that he probably has wide receiver top five wide receiver talent and he has been subjected to the worst quarterback play probably imaginable since he probably started playing any type of organized football in his life so again just a fun stat about him he has seen 64 percent of his targets have been deemed catchable since he entered the league in 2014 which ranks 91st out of 101 qualifying wide receivers so hashtag free Allen Robinson and make sure you check out the article on pff.com and follow me on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore going to be a sheesh for me for a Rob his QBs dating back to college Matt McGloin Christian Hackenberg Blake Bortles Chad Henney Chase Daniel Mitch Trubisky get Allen Robinson to Green Bay who says no Andrew and I certainly do not thank you all for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast again we're going two episodes per week in the playoffs we'll get back to you know five to even seven in February when I got a bunch of team exit interviews on the way so for Andrew I'm Ian this has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast and until next time take care everybody 